Before I give, um, before we get into this mor- this morning, this evening's message on Good Friday, I asked uh, Rick Weifels. He's uh, he runs our sound and takes care of everything over there in the back. And I asked him to come and share his testimony. So, if you could give Rick a warm welcome. Hi. Well, I want to start back a little bit just to give some reference to to my testimony. Uh, I'm from upstate New York, near Rochester, New York, and I, I was I grew up on a large dairy farm, and uh, my earliest memories are attending Catholic school. And I was in the Catholic school system from kindergarten through sixth grade. So there were about seven years there of, of that type of education. And things were different way back then. Um, the discipline from the nuns, somewhat severe compared to what we experience in schools today. Um, I remember the nuns, their attire, they... They had this big white bib and this vertical white piece straight across the top, big black veil, black gowns. When they walked, you could not detect any foot movement. It was just like this gliding thing going across, you know, and a little intimidating for, for us. And boys had to wear white shirts and a clip-on tie. And the girls had to wear a plaid skirt. So we're all kind of the same. Classes included uh, a lot of instruction in the Catholic catechism. And that's, that's the body of knowledge that they impart to students regarding God, the Trinity, sacraments, a bunch of sacraments, purgatory, mortal and venial sins, the Stations of the Cross, Scapulars, Sacred Medals, and the Rosary. So for seven years, this was constantly um, taught. Our field trips would be walking across the parking lot to go to the church, where the priest would also share all of this stuff with us. It was kind of a dimly lit, mysterious place, Huge ceilings. I still remember the reverb in that room. But there were candles and statues and all these forbidden places that were holy, so we couldn't, we'd get in a lot of trouble if we snuck in there. A few vivid memories. Uh, we were told that only Catholics would go to heaven. And our church was located on a four corner kind of a large four-corner area in our city, and on each of those four corners was a large, big, hand-hewn stone church of a different denomination. And I, I remember standing on the front entry of our church, looking out there, just wondering, what's going to happen to all those people? What's, what happens to them? Another vivid memory was a page in that Catholic catechism 
It was entitled, The End of the World. And it depicted people surrounded by fire, looking up with outstretched arms to angels who were looking down with outstretched arms. I could never figure out if these people were getting out of purgatory or pleading to get out of hell. So I actually went home and I tried to look up the end of the world in our big Catholic Bible, thinking it'd be easy to find at the end of the book. But I I couldn't find it. I had no idea. Of course, I was nine or ten years old at the time. Fast forward to high school graduation. Now things are different. I have long hair. I had hair. (laughs) And right right out of high school, I was working at a radio station and for a large touring sound company, doing sound for large concerts and... It was quite a glimpse of the world for me. It was a big change from the farm. And uh, I was just 17 when I graduated and started working. And I I didn't even have my night license yet. But I was touring all over the Midwest to the East Coast doing sound. Up until I was just before my 21st birthday, I had this cool opportunity to move to Maui. I was going to run a, manage a company for a guy called Maui Renegy. And I remember my dad, he paid for my ticket, and he wanted to make sure that it was a round-trip ticket so that I could escape and get right back home if I had to. Well, after a few weeks or a month of being here, it was like there's no way that I'm going to move back home. So I went to a travel agent to switch the ticket so that it would be round-trip originating on Maui, so I could go home and visit my folks for Christmas and then come back. So I had noticed this travel agency on Ka'ahumanu Avenue, and it was right across the street from Maui Mall. And it was called Kahului Travel, and it was inside a railroad train car. Maybe a caboose from the sugar train railroad that they used to run on Maui. So I walked in, and everywhere it's Jesus, Jesus balloons, Jesus teddy bears, Jesus everything. So she uh, helped me with my ticket, and then she invited me to go to an event with her and her husband and a group of their friends, not knowing they were a group of friends from church. So I went and uh, ended up hanging out with these people, became friends with them. One day we were somewhere, and one of them said, Hey, Rick, do you want to accept Jesus? And I just immediately held up my hands, like warding something off. It was like, I'm good. I'm baptized. I'm in. Thank God they, they didn't stop. They were nice. They didn't, they didn't overpower me. But over time, I had continued fellowship with this group of people. 
It had to have been the Lord. So one day, they asked me to join them all for lunch at someone's house here in Hiley Miley. And I think the owner of the house, I think he played a priest on a Young and the Restless soap opera years ago. And now he's retired here on the island. And he was going to this same church with these folks. And so, okay. So the travel agency lady said, if you want, I'll give you a haircut after lunch. Sounds good. So after lunch, I sit in this chair. She puts a sheet over me. And she has in her hands a pair of scissors and a straight-edge razor. And she says, do you want to hear a tape? And I'm like, you have all the weapons. You do whatever you want. And so the tape was entitled End Times, sort of like the end of the world. A little vague memory there for a second. And it was July 1979. The tape was called The End Times, and it was by Chuck Smith. I thought it was interesting. He, it was different the way he taught. It wasn't like a priest giving a sermon um, in a Catholic church. It, now I know it was line upon line, precept upon precept, and he was teaching the Bible. And I'm just listening away. And he's reading from Revelation chapter 9. And he's talking about the fifth trumpet regarding the locusts that were coming out of the smoke in the pit. And he said, the shape of the locusts were like horses. And their faces were like the faces of men. And they had hair over their head, like hair like women. And their teeth were like teeth of lions. And they had breastplates of iron and faces of men. And their wings sounded like chariots, like many horses. And tails like scorpions that could sting. And I'm thinking, all right. And then Chuck said, sure sounds like a helicopter. And at that moment, everything changed. I don't think it was because the reference to a helicopter. I think at that moment, the Holy Spirit made himself known. And I was stunned. I mean, I, I was like, oh, man, don't cry. What's the matter with you? I mean, ugh. I'm just trying to be cool. I had no idea what was going on. But those words from the word had a significant effect on me. And so at the time, I didn't have a car and someone from the group gave me a ride home. And the next day, the travel agent gave me a ride to my first day at a new job as a car rental manager when I would get a car. And uh, on the way there, she pulled off the road and she said, and she turns the car off. And I'm like, oh, what, what's going on? And she said, Rick, do you want to accept Jesus? And I, I couldn't speak. I mean, the previous day, I actually heard this voice yell, it's true. So anyway, I couldn't really talk to her. I just nodded. So she led me in the sinner's prayer. And as I repeated the sinner's prayer, and we said amen, 
everything changed again. Now I was totally at peace. And I felt like everything's right. Everything is the way it's supposed to be. I mean, I wasn't really articulating that, but as I look back, that's kind of what I think was happening. And so with that, I started going to a small church down in Kahului. And after about a year, we moved to what was then the roller skating rink in Kahului. It's on the corner. It was on the corner of Kahumanu and Kahului Beach Road. I think now it's a big tile store. And so I had begun this journey in a railroad car, and now I'm ending up in a roller skating rink. Well, about four years later, Mom calls and says, I need you to come home. Dad's in bad shape. I need help. And so I went home. Dad had cancer, and he passed away about three weeks after, after I got home. So I arranged to have my stuff shipped back home. I stayed home, helped Mom. It was a 1,000-acre dairy farm, and I took over my dad's position in um, this large log home company. And uh, so some time went by. I'm really busy, and I'm looking for a church, so I find a church in Victor, New York, and it was called Maranatha Fellowship. And it was in a railroad car. (laughs) Who would have thought? Because I was so busy, I only went once or twice. Uh, It was a difficult time. But about a year or so went by, and I was meeting with this couple. They wanted to buy a log home, and we were in the model home, and and we're done. I'm walking with them out to their car. And I notice on their dashboard that they had a Bible. I'm like, wow, are you guys Christians? Yeah. I said, well, where do you fellowship? And they said, Calvary Chapel. Boom. Calvary Chapel? You mean like Chuck Smith Calvary Chapel? I said, yeah. Yeah, we used to meet at that old railroad car out in Victor. Oh, that was you guys. Well, where do you meet now? And they said, well, we meet out in Route 332 in Farmington. It's the old roller skating rink. <laughs> so here my walk began in a railroad car, finished on Maui in a roller skating rink. Same thing happened uh, up in New York. So it's amazing, you know, how the Lord, it, like it took him five years to show me with this special thing that I realized later, you know, well, he had that plan from the foundation of the world. It made me feel really special. So later, you know, my growth in the Lord took off a little bit, and I came to understand a little bit about all these rituals and the focus on the sacraments and how it was an attempt for that religion to be right with God. That was how they would obtain righteousness by performing these works. And they would be righteous. And Paul in Romans 3.10 said, there's none righteous, not one. And I understood that none of us really deserve to be saved. Paul said, you're saved by grace, by faith, not works. So you can't boast about it. And in Romans it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So I came to understand that It wasn't the sacraments. I really didn't have any peripheral hold on any of that religious stuff. But I started to realize later 
you know, that, that was the wrong walk. And so Jesus said, well, I realized that when I was unsaved, I didn't know that I was unsaved. In fact, I'm in. But Jesus said in Revelation, he said, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hears my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. So I wasn't in until I opened that door and Jesus came in. Thank you. All right, awesome. That was that was great, Rick. Um, you know, it took a long time for him and uh, Gina, his wife, to find our church because he was looking for a, a train, an uh, 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 ice skating rink. Yeah, no, just joking. <laughs> well, uh, if you can, if you guys can grab your um, Bibles and open them up to Mark chapter fifteen, Mark fifteen, and I uh, have a. We're going to look at Mark 15 for our text here, for our study here, for our Good Friday service. Mark 15. And we're going to be looking at verse 29 to 31 tonight. Mark 15. Let's go ahead and uh, pray. Lord God, thank you so much. It's only you who can save a person, God. It's only you who can truly come into a life, and it's your Holy Spirit moving, just as we heard uh, with Rick's testimony. God, it's amazing to me, and it only speaks so much of your love. It speaks so much of how much you care for us and want us to be in a relationship with you in the true way, and how much you want to save us. And I thank you for tonight, God, and for this opportunity we have to really commemorate your death, Lord. And how you gave your life for us. And so as we get into your word in this section tonight, God, may you bless it. May your spirit anoint it, Lord. And God, we're here, Lord. Our hearts are open, God, to you, to hear from you. And we're grateful for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. After the Civil War ended in 1865, uh, I found this story. These freed slaves, they took the, the bodies of Union soldiers who had died during the war. And basically, they were like in this mass grave. They actually took their bodies and gave each of them a proper burial in order to honor them. They put a fence around this grave site that they found, and they built an entryway an entry arch in commemoration for those who they say gave their lives for them. A few years later, many came back and decorated the gravesite with flowers in remembrance of these soldiers who fought, really, yeah, to set the slaves free. And it was from that point on, they called it Decoration Day. And it became an annual observance where every year at the same time they come and put flowers on the graves and all over this grave site to honor these soldiers. Well, after World War I, this day was changed from Decoration Day to, you can guess, Memorial Day to honor those who died in all U.S. wars. And since 1971, 
It's observed on the last Monday in May, honoring and remembering those who gave their life for our freedom. Well, today, as we gather together tonight on this Friday, it's sort of like Christ's Memorial Day. This Good Friday service is where we remember what Christ did for us. We, we honor Jesus for how he gave up his life. He sacrificed his life to set us free, to set us free from sin, the consequences of sin and death. And so as believers, we have this now. We have this in our salvation, and it's all because of Jesus. And it's all because he didn't save himself. And that's the title of our message tonight. He didn't save himself. Again, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 15 from verse 29 through 31. He didn't save himself. And that's our focus here tonight on this Good Friday service. Now, first of all, I want you to see this. Number one, Jesus could have come down from the cross. Jesus could have come down from the cross. Take a look at verse 29 here. It says in Mark 15, 29, And those who, had, who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, verse 30, save yourself and come down from the cross. Well, at this point, as we come into this passage, Jesus has already been, he's already hanging on the cross. He was put on the cross at 9 a.m. in the morning. He hung on the cross till 3 p.m. when he died later that day. So it, it, it's sometime in the morning because we read after this, actually, that darkness fell upon the land from 12 p.m. on. It was a symbol of God's judgment falling upon Christ while he took upon his body the judgment that we should have received. So Jesus is hanging on the cross now. And, and, and picture this, right? We know the nails are what's keeping him on the cross. And I believe the only way he can hang on the cross by those nails is they were nailed right here. Yeah, right in the carpal part, right between the two bones, not in the wrist. I mean, not in the hands, but in the wrist, because in the hands it would have just ripped out. So you can imagine the nails here, another nail here, and a nail with uh, going through both of his feet, and he's hanging on the cross. Now, from what we understand from crucifixion, that the way they, they crucified a person, they would bend their legs, uh, bend their legs a little bit, and they'll be hanging from the cross, uh, uh, hanging on the nails here. And the only way that they could breathe is actually push, straighten up from their knees bent and try and uh, uh, exhale. They could breathe in, but to ex exhale, to breathe out, they had to pull up. So here's Jesus hanging that way, barely able to breathe, suffering in total pain. And remember, he was already uh, scourged, right? Already the crown of thorns are on him. Already his back had been ripped open from the scourging that happened earlier in the morning. And so here's Jesus hanging on a cross and all of that suffering and pain. And then we read here people who they are walking by going into Jerusalem. He's outside the city. Uh, the crucifixions always took place outside the city of Jerusalem. 
So here's these people walking by, going into the city of Jerusalem. And they began here in verse 29, those who passed by derided him. That word derided him here in the ESV, it means they were throwing out these hurtful words. It was like abusive language toward Jesus. That, that's the feeling of it. That, that's what was being thrown out at him. And he's hanging there in pain. He's hanging there, it's suffering there. And, and they're like putting their thumb on his wounds and making it even hurt more. And so they're putting him down. They're deriding him, wagging their heads, it says here in verse 29. They're like shaking his heads, like, Shh, you know, kind of doing the kind of thing. Ah, yeah, you know, kind of even putting him down in that way. And they were deriding him by saying, aha, yeah, look at you, in other words. Ah, you hanging on the cross, right? You said that. You would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. What's that now? Now, in their understanding, they're, they're, they're really misquoting Jesus because Jesus wasn't literally saying that he's going to destroy the temple and rebuild it. John, in cha- John uh, chapter 2, verse 21, tells us that Jesus said that talking about his own body, which makes sense, right? That his body would be destroyed, but in three days, what he would be uh, rise again. He would be resurrected. So here they come. They're they're riding. They're they're just putting him down. Hurtful words by just huh. Yeah, look at you. You were saying you're gonna destroy the temple and build it up again. Look at you now. Where's that now? Then they said this in verse thirty. Save yourself and come down from the cross. Oh, if you're so powerful, if you're the guy, if you, if you talk words like that, well, save yourself then. Come down from the cross. Now, if we think about that for a moment, he could have easily done that, right? I mean, real easy, right? This is Jesus, the Son of God, right? He had the power, right? I mean, think about the Gospels and the, what we've studied yeah, in the Gospels as a church. Think about how, how he powerfully stilled a storm, right, just by speaking. I mean, I, I, I love the story when they're on the boat and the storm comes and he just says, be still. And then all of a sudden, you know, the storm's gone. The waves go, Shh. there's no more wind. And maybe I always picture the only evidence that there were even in a storm is a little lantern going, ee. You know, but think about how powerful. Think about how powerful Jesus is in that he casts demons out of people. They listen to him because this is God, the Son. Think about how not too long before this, he raised Lazarus from the dead. So here's Jesus hanging on the cross. Oh, and they're mocking him. They're saying, oh, save yourself. Come down from the cross then if you're so powerful. Jesus could have come down from the cross, but he didn't. He didn't. He didn't save himself. I think about that like, wow, that's amazing. What they're saying? I mean, how many of us, if someone mocks us and, oh, get the juices going, right? Oh, we want to say something back. We want to get back at them. 
But Jesus, he could have come down from the cross, but he didn't. He didn't save himself. Remember, remember when Jesus was arrested in the garden, in the garden of Gethsemane? And when they came to arrest him, this whole uh, uh, group of people, the religious leaders, their servants, the, this, the temple guards all came to get one man. A group of ragtag disciples were there. Here's Jesus. And they come up, and Jesus asked them, Who are you looking for? And they said, We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And what did he say in John 18? I am he. And what happened? Poof! They fell down. They all fell down. It was like all of a sudden, this, this power came out when he said, I am. Like the I am. I am God. And they fell down. I mean, I would have ran away at that point, but they like got up. Who are you looking for? They're like, oh, Jesus of Nazareth, you know, probably. Powerful. And you remember at that time, too, that Peter took out a sword and thought, I'll defend you, Jesus. And he starts whacking away with the sword and cut off the ear of a, a, a one of the servants. But Jesus stops him, heals the ear. And remember what he told Peter? He said, put away the sword, Peter. Don't you know I could ask of the Father? I could ask 12 legions of angels to come right now. You know what 12 legions equal to? You know how many angels that would be? 72,000 angels. 72,000. One angel wiped out what? Like 30,000 or I forget. 60,000 Assyrians I think it was, right? Crazy in the Old Testament. 72,000 could have been there like that and saved Jesus. So what? You think Jesus could have come down from the cross? Yeah. You think that, that this was just some, oh, a poor, oh, poor guy? You know, some people think that, oh, poor teacher, he's such a good teacher. But look what this, this series of unfortunate events happened to him. Oh, Jesus would have really been great. But no. What they are saying, Jesus could have come down from the cross, but he didn't. He didn't save himself. He had the power to not die on the cross that day. But if he did, we would still be lost in sin, right? We wouldn't be here. We would not be free of the bondage of our sin, a bondage to our flesh. And so, to our benefit, for us, he didn't save himself. So, understand, Jesus could have come down on the cross, but he didn't. But here's something else I want you to see in the next verse. The second thing is Jesus could not save both himself and us. Jesus could not save both himself and us. Look at verse 31 now. Verse 31 says, So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. So here's the chief priests. They're the Sadducees. They're the, the head guys over all the priests. Uh, and the scribes, they, uh, most of them were part of the Pharisees, another group of religious leaders here. 
And so they were really the instigators here. They were the ones who ended up, right, having a legal trial the night before and condemned him to death, brought him to Pilate, uh, pushed Pilate, politically manipulated him to have Jesus be put to death on the cross. Pilate tried to get out of it. It didn't happen. So anyway, now Jesus is on the cross, and they're there. Their whole plan has come to pass. They paid Judas, right, 30 pieces of silver to uh, let him know it's a good place to arrest him. And that was in the garden. And so here's their whole plan has come to pass. They're like, yeah. And so they began to mock Jesus too. Put him down when he's suffering and pain so much. They began to deride. They began to mock him. And here's what they're saying. And they're talking to each other kind of like, see, see. To one another. And they're saying, he saved others. And look, he cannot save himself. Now, if you think about it, it's true. He saved others. And that's what they're talking about. These religious leaders, they witnessed. They saw Jesus heal the blind so they can see. They saw Jesus like uh, heal the deaf so they can hear. They saw lepers were cleansed and totally healed. They saw any of the sick healed. So it's true. Jesus did save many from their suffering. So they're like, well, he saved others. But look at that now. Look at him now. He cannot save himself from his own suffering here. So... It's true what they said. Jesus did save many from their suffering. But when they say he cannot save himself, well, in one sense, that's false. It's true, yeah, he did save others, but it is false, right? Oh, look, he cannot save himself as we saw earlier. We know he can. This is the Son of God. He has the power. He could come down from the cross. But in another sense, what they're saying is true. Think about this. In another sense, it's true. He cannot save himself. See, if Jesus saved himself, then he could not save others. He could not save us today. If you think about that, Jesus cannot do both. See, the only way for Jesus to save us is to die. Is to die on the cross and atone for our sins. That was the only way. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins that we should have paid for. That we're destined to pay for without Christ by death. Jesus had to die for our sins. This was the only way. This was what was prophesied. This was the spotless lamb, the lamb of God who died for us. Jesus was sinless so he could be the one who could take upon himself our sins and pay for our penalty we can't as as rick shared right that we're saved by faith we're saved by grace through faith not of works not anything we do we cannot atone for our own sins we're already messed up there's nothing that we can do to atone for our own sins so we need jesus and that's why jesus came that's why jesus died on the cross that's why he cannot save himself As it's been said, he paid a debt he did not owe because we owe the debt we could not pay. So 
Jesus could not save both himself and us. So he didn't save himself. Do you understand that? Do you understand what I'm trying to say there? He, 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 he couldn't say, oh, I'll come down on the cross. I'm, I'm going to save myself. But then we would not be saved. But the only way is to not save himself so that we can be saved. Isaiah 53, 6 says that we, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Can you imagine if there was a book of all your sins? Some of you, maybe yours is thin, but mine's probably thicker than this Bible. There's no way we could atone for all the sin. But what God did was bring Jesus and laid upon him all my sin, the iniquity of us all, all of our sins. That's amazing to me. This is why Jesus could not save both himself and others. He didn't save himself, so we can be saved. I like this story. It just came to my mind again. Uh, there was a big fire that went through a farmer's land. And uh, the next day, he was walking around the burnt ground. And everything was black. And he came upon a hen on the ground that had died in the fire. The hen was all black. He went to kick it over, and to his surprise, from underneath the hen, four chicks came running out. The mother hen did not save herself, but saved the life of the chicks by covering them when the fire came across. That's what Jesus did. Jesus died to give us life. So we can have a life with God. That's why he died for you and me. And let me say this as we close up here. Why would he do that? Why would he not come down from the cross? Why did he not save himself? He could have. Why would he sacrifice himself and atone for our sins? Because of love. Because he loves us. Because he loves you. He loves me. He loves every person here. His desire that no one would perish in their sins. It's because of love. In 1 John 3.16, the first part says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. The greatest example of love is what we see here. That he didn't save himself. That Jesus died on the cross. Someone asked me uh, this week, how come they call it Good Friday? Doesn't seem like a good Friday. Yeah, it doesn't for Jesus. But it's good for us. Because what Jesus did almost 2,000 years ago, even though it was bad for him, it was good for us. What he did changed history, you guys. What he did opened the door for us to be saved to be forgiven, to have a relationship with God, to know God and know that we can have eternal life, that we can be assured we will go to heaven. Because it's not based on how good or bad we are. It's based on Christ's work on the cross. This is 
incredible what, is, what he did in dying on the cross. And that's why we're gathered here. To commemorate, to honor Jesus. I'll close with this. When uh, President Lincoln's body was brought from Washington to Illinois to be buried, this African-American woman lifted up her son as far as she could above the heads of the crowd. And she told her son this. Take a long look, honey. He died for you. Let's take a long look today from our hearts and honor Jesus. Because Jesus died for you and me. This is God's love. This is why he didn't save himself. Let's pray. Lord God, as we move into a time of communion, Lord, we remember and honor you for what you've done for us almost 2,000 years ago, God. On this day, Lord, you hung on the cross. Lord, for six hours you were there. Suffering in pain, suffering, God, not just that, but taking upon you all the sins of the world, our sin, my sin. And Lord, because of that, our sins are atoned for. Because of your blood, because of your sacrifice, God, we can be forgiven. And Lord, we need forgiveness, God. We need to be made right with you. And this is the only way. God, thank you for your word that is truth and that shows us, Lord. As we got a little glimpse of what was going on that day, God, as we come to understand that you didn't save yourself, but you sacrificed yourself for us. So, Lord, in honor of you, we partake communion tonight. In honor of you, we will partake of the bread and the cup. And, Lord, I pray that your spirit would continue to minister to our hearts. Lord, as we realize more and more of the impact, God, your death has made on the world, on us. Lord, may your spirit open our eyes and our ears to your truth right now. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, at this time, uh, we're going to worship the Lord in song. And the guys are going to be passing out the elements. And they come in a kit. There's a, the bread on one side. The cup is on the other side with the juice. And uh, we're going to be partaking the bread first and then the cup. So if you'd like, you could peel back just the bread side. And I like to kind of hold it in my hand. And once, the, uh, once you get your elements, you know, I really encourage you guys to just turn your hearts to the Lord, to be grateful, to, to give him your love, to remember what he did in sacrificing his life for you this day, 2,000 years ago. And so uh, as soon as you get your elements, just start to worship the Lord. And then uh, uh, Spencer's going to come up, lead us in, in partaking the bread. Then we're, we're going to worship again. And then uh, Pastor Stephen's going to come up and lead you in the cup. But as we come before the Lord, I just want to say, remember, this is a holy moment before God. It, it, it's a moment we get to come to the Lord before the cross. If there's any sin you need to confess, confess it. Understand that 1 John 1, 7 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is possible because of His death on the cross. 
that he can forgive us. Let's get right before the Lord. Let's come before him in, in honoring what he's done and giving his life for us. Let's worship him now.